everyone. Welcome to the Biosat Podcast. I'm Alex Miller with the editorial team. And in this episode, we're speaking with Ken Buer, Chief Technical Officer for our Biosat office in Tempe. So the topic is about some pretty interesting technology on the commercial satellite internet side and how it aligns with the needs of our customers, both in the commercial sector, as well as with defense agencies in the US and among our allies. And this is set against the backdrop of our upcoming satellite constellation, Biosat 3, which will offer global coverage and an unprecedented amount of capacity to serve these and other customers. So Ken, thanks for being on the podcast. You're a first timer, so welcome. Hi, good to, good to be here. Yeah, so uh, you're coming, you just told me you're coming at us from, uh, what, well, you're in Tennessee somewhere, right? Right, yeah, up in the uh, Smoky Mountains in uh, Eastern Tennessee. All right, that's great. You know, first off, I wanted to ask if you could describe your role at Viasat here, just a little bit, uh, your background and, and what you're typically working on here and, and, you know, with the team in Tempe. Yeah, sure. Um, so my, my background is uh, mostly RF and microwave and uh, started probably 30 years ago doing uh, integrated circuit design, uh, module design, and then uh, worked my way up the chain into subsystem design and even, you know, full payload and system design. Uh, like we're doing now uh, for uh, Viasat 3, Viasat 4. And uh, I spend a lot of time nowadays working on our advanced satellite systems and, uh, you know, thinking about what uh, what we're going to do next after after Viasat 3, after Viasat 4. Wow. Yeah, that sounds like some pretty intense work. You're right at the, at the epicenter of what Viasat's uh, up to on the satellite realm. No, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we know that the satellite communications ecosystem is, is ever changing, uh, but the area of commercial satellite internet, or sometimes called CSI, is particularly interesting given the move away from purpose-built satellites like the Department of Defense here in the U.S. is known for. So can you touch on some of the key points about why this is the case and, and some of the changes that we're seeing? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, just like everyone else, the, uh, the DOD has exponential growth in the amount of data that they need and the data communication that they that they have to support. And so, you know, since they operate on a global scale, uh, they also, you know, need to be able to move around and uh, SATCOM has to be a central part of that strategy on, on how to solve that problem. And so in the past, some, you know, DOD has had a lot of purpose-built satellites and uh, most of the time that was to, um, you know, fill some niche missions that no commercial equivalent existed. Um, but over time, you know, they're, they're not able to keep up with the uh, demand growth. So what they need to do is augment that with commercial systems. And the technology crossover point, uh, I think, has been reached in, in commercial SATCOM where uh, it's not being driven by the government anymore or government research and government niche markets, it's really be driven by the commercial side and economies of scale that uh, come with huge amounts of, of commercial uh, SATCOM data. So the Defense Department and other government customers can now take advantage of that and uh, they don't need their purpose-built satellites for every single mission. And so, uh, so that crossover point's been happening in SATCOM and I think it's, uh, you know, it's accelerating. Okay. Yeah. It's really, it's, it's something we've talked a lot about with, uh, you know, some of the different guests on the podcast and, and also in our corporate blog, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of interesting things going on, uh, you know, that really opens up a lot of opportunities, not just for the, for the government, but some of our commercial customers as well. So uh, if we could, let's dive a little deeper into some of the technology itself, which uh, some of this, uh, what we're talking about involves multiple bands, multiple beams. 
and even satellites in, in different orbits and how a new generation of what are called phased array antennas can really make this, uh, you know, this happen. So can you sketch out a little bit about what that looks like and, and a, little, a little bit about how a phased array antenna works? So a phased array antenna is really a whole bunch of really small antennas. And that's, that's where the array part of it comes into, it, into effect. It's basically um, hundreds or thousands of small antennas um, that get added up to become a larger antenna. And we use um, sort of time and phase delay to maximize SNR uh, of a signal in a particular direction of interest. And so uh, we call that, you know, that process beam forming and because it, uh, it gives us a, a, you know, a high gain antenna in a, in a single direction from a whole bunch of really uh, low gain antennas that you add up. And, and so by changing the way we add them up, uh, the phases of time delays, we can steer that beam around. Uh, we could also electronically hop it instantly from one part of the sky to a different part of the sky, and that's really useful. And uh, the other thing we can do is use the, uh, the beam forming process to minimize interference that's, uh, that may be coming from a different uh, direction than, than the signal of interest. And so uh, that you know, helps us become immune to uh, some of the jamming or just other interference and noise sources that might be out there in the uh, military uh, EMI environment is, is pretty complex. So uh, you know, the, the other thing you can do with a phased array, because you have all these degrees of freedom, to add up the uh, the elements in or the uh, individual element antennas in, in different ways, um, you can you can make multiple beams and uh, you can uh, set up another set of of summation that uh, forms a beam in a different direction and through superposition you end up having you know using the hardware essentially to form many beams or or at least uh, several beams. And so that's just something that you can't do with more traditional antennas because uh, you know a mechanically steered antenna takes a certain amount of time to move from one part of the sky to another, and you certainly can't point two different directions at once with a mechanical piece of hardware. So, so phased arrays can can do things that other antennas can't do, and they also happen to be uh, low profile, and uh, so that that's uh, you know necessary in in some applications where you have aerodynamic concerns or just height uh, concerns on vehicles or things like that. So there's just a lot of things you can do with phased array technology that you couldn't do with standard antennas. And, uh, and that's why they're of interest. Is this similar to uh, a lot of other technologies where as it gets more, uh, as technology matures that they get smaller? Well, you know, uh, they, they certainly get better performance as time goes on. And that can mean that the aperture is reduced in size. Or you can, uh, you know, use that improved performance just to to get better uh, SNRs or get get higher gain antenna. So, so there's different ways you can you can use the advance in technology. Uh, one of those ways would be to make it smaller. But the biggest <laughs> the biggest one, and sort of the biggest hurdle for phased arrays in in the past has been has been cost. And so by uh, you know taking advantage of you know technology advances, uh, we're able to reduce the cost to make some of these arrays affordable in applications that just wouldn't have been affordable uh, even a few years ago. Right. Yeah, I know uh, our office in Switzerland is working on some of this phased array technology. Um, is it also uh, some of that going on in Tempe or, or Duluth or here in the U.S.? Yeah, we're, we're working uh, cooperatively across a lot of sites. In Tempe, Arizona, we do, we do a lot of uh, custom IC design 
And so uh, since these uh, these phased arrays are, <laughs> are very intense on the custom IC front, uh, we do a lot of that design in Arizona. The actual antenna design is done in, in Switzerland. And then uh, our Atlanta group does, uh, you know, some final assembly test uh, certification, fitting it on aircraft, things like that. So, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty big cooperative effort across a lot of different groups inside BIOS. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, uh, especially when you think about uh, how vertically integrated we are, that there's, uh, you know, different parts of the company that can kind of pitch in on one, one big project like this. So, so, you know, we can see a lot of benefits uh, of this type of antenna in many applications, but for the military, that kind of flexibility seems like it carries a lot of weight. So what's changing that makes the paradigm for this new tech so dynamic today and in, in the next few years? You know, yeah, the military has been using phased arrays for a long time and mostly in radar systems, you know, places where they need to be able to hop beams across uh, the sky really quickly, but they've been really expensive, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in, in a lot of cases. And they were traditionally made from gas or gallium arsenide and, and gallium nitride technology that, you know, the building, building the elements was a whole RF module or whole radio build essentially in and of itself. And so you have to have thousands of those or at least hundreds of those to build the array. And it got really expensive, large, power intensive. And, uh, but, but even with all of that, cost was the main barrier to widespread usage, especially in communications. And so the, you know, we're hitting another one of these technology crossover points where the commercial market is driving technology to start to eclipse the DOD, both in terms of cost and performance. And a large reason for that is uh, that we're we're moving to silicon-based technology, and everyone knows, you know, silicon uh, wafers and and silicon uh, chip technology is very widespread in consumer products. It's very widespread in pretty much all products, but uh, it's set up for really high volume and low-cost applications. So that's nice. But uh, the other thing it has going for it is that you can integrate a lot more functions digital functions along with RF functions on the same chip, which makes the overall end, you know, end uh, phased array can be a lot smaller, can be a lot more power efficient, and certainly a lot easier to assemble. And that makes it a lot lower cost. Even if the chip technology weren't already cheaper, um, just the fact that you can do all this integration on a single IC is super helpful in, in being able to build something at scale that has a lot of uh, electronics in it. Yeah, when you think about a fleet of aircraft like you know the military has, you can see how advantageous it would be to have these kinds of antennas on pretty much everything, right? Is that the, the direction they're going? Yeah, I mean, I think you know the the places where phased arrays make no, most sense are the, are those places where the features of a phased array can be used most effectively and are needed most and are most valuable. So the you know on on fighter aircraft, for example. The low profile is really advantageous. The ability to move the antenna quickly uh, is really advantageous. And everyone knows, you know, the, the, even though some of these uh, military platforms are very expensive, it's not going to help to add a very expensive antenna onto an already very expensive right. platform. And so they do have to be cost conscious as well as having, you know, all, the, all these other requirements that are very tough to, to meet. Uh, and I think, you know, our approach um, is to make those requirements a um, design constraint rather than a building and um, uh, sort of a build and, and a process control 
problem. And what I mean by that is, you know, a lot of uh, phased array manufacturers you know, in the past have relied on very difficult, expensive, and, uh, you know, d device physics intense <laughs> uh, solutions that mm. um, sort of require very, they end up being very expensive because the technology behind them is, is hard to build, has to be really tightly controlled, has to be tuned, has to be perfect, and that makes them very expensive. And in our case, we're using, you know, silicon technology that is really made for volume. Uh, and we're turning some of these other military uh, requirements, such as uh, the, the electromagnetic environment and some of the other features that we need to, we need to have for, for these military arrays, um, we're, we're making those design parameters. And so we're um, designing them in, we're designing in uh, the ability to do automated digital alignment instead of you know, manufacture tuning and test. So it's really uh, sort of moving from uh, what, what I think of as you know, 1980s or 1970s technology into the uh, state-of-the-art world of system-on-chip and uh, very highly integrated RF electronics. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. I was talking to Craig Miller, who heads up government systems here at, at Viasat. He, he was talking about some of these networks that use a lot of different uh, pieces that come together uh, and how the military is really trying to pull those together into a unified network and, and talked about how Viasat's sort of ideally suited to pull together those elements into that unified system. So how do you see that applying to these, these SATCOM ecosystems on the defense side? Well, yeah, I think Craig's right. Um, we have a robust sort of defense business. We, we know what they need. We know their unique requirements. We know their constraints. And then on the other side, we have a thriving and rapidly growing commercial business that drives innovation, drives operational efficiency, as well as economies of scale. And we have a global uh, reach through our satellite network. And, and so, yeah, we're positioned really well to uh, come in and solve some of these problems that have been pretty tough to solve for the military uh, customers for a long time. And in addition to that, we have staff that sort of move back and forth between the government and commercial side. So being able to seamlessly move people from commercial to government projects gives us the ability to sort of cross fertilize those two markets. And, and that means that the people that are working on uh, state-of-the-art uh, government projects have a good background and understanding of what we're doing on the commercial side and being able to leverage that technology really well. And uh, I think, you know, we're positioned to take uh, advantage of this, of this inflection point where, um, you know, in, not only in the way that we see the technology, but also in the way that the company is organized, structured, and uh, using our staff to, you know, experience and culture to, to make that happen. So, you know, it's, I think a lot of, a lot of people miss the, the importance of having both a commercial, a really robust commercial business and a really robust government business because the advantages of being able to move uh, technology uh, learnings back and forth between those two markets is, is really powerful. And, uh, and, and Viasat can do that really well because we're, our businesses are so well balanced. Yeah, and that leads me to, to my next question was just about that vertical integration, you know, where Viasat's a company that, that has come to, you know, be making its own satellite payloads all the way down to, you know, the, the modems at the other end and the terminals, the antennas in the middle. 
and um, it, it's different from a lot of uh, how satellite companies used to work where they'd kind of just buy things from, from a lot of different places. But so how does that look uh, from your vantage point, that, that vertical integration? Well, you know, as a system designer, I think the vertical integration gives me a lot more degrees of freedom. You know, the ability to do trades between what things get implemented in hardware, what things get implemented in software, what happens on the you know, space side, what happens on the ground side of a system, even dividing up functionality between a central gateway location or distributed to, to a whole bunch of user terminals. And, and even into the service plans we offer, there's a lot of degrees of freedom that we have available to us when we design this and optimize the system that uh, individual component suppliers or even system or subsystem suppliers like uh, people that build satellites but don't operate the system don't know what the right trades are to make. So that's a really powerful thing. And it allows us to sort of remove some of these traditional interface barriers where you know, you're building to some standard interface and uh, whether that interface made sense 20 or 30 years ago really doesn't, doesn't may or may not make sense today. And so we um, were able to, without those barriers in place, we're able to move faster. We're able to be more innovative, more efficient, and ultimately offer better service to our customers without having to uh, expend more resources to get there. And, and that's a really important thing because as SATCOM moves into the commercial market more mainstream, we end up having to be really efficient or we're gonna get priced out of the market. And so uh, it's, it's really important to um, make the right trades and to stay flexible enough that we can adapt to future needs. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So, you know, thinking about Viasat as a supplier to government, it was actually 36 years ago, that was how the company started out, was, was uh, providing, I can't remember what the what the product was. It was it was it modems. I don't think you were around then, or the UHF Dama modem. I think. Yeah. Okay. So so that that history goes way back, and and uh, I know we have a lot of veterans here at Viasat, and we kind of pride ourselves on being able to kind of speak that language. So how important is that kind of relationship as as we look at all of these changes on the horizon? Well, I think it's it's really important. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, as I, kind of I mentioned before, with this ability to move both people, knowledge, and our R and D that we can apply to both sides of the business. R&D that we can do, you know, that, that we can apply to both government and commercial applications is twice as valuable as a, a company that does R&D for just one of those two things. <laughs> and we try to set up our R&D to be able to be very applicable to both the commercial market and the, and the defense market. And so, you know, that's, that's a big powerful thing. And I think, you know, like I said, I think a lot of people underestimate that because as, as one example, our competitors might be able to offer a phased array antenna or a sensor to the government, but we can offer a phased array antenna or sensor that is combined with an entire end-to-end communication system, including global coverage, you know, backed by our, our, our Viasat 3 satellite network and our, you know, and, and using our state-of-the-art encryption technology. So, you know, we can provide an end-to-end solution. Most of the, even the large primes don't have uh, a global SATCOM network that they can rely on to uh, to give the government what they really want, which is an end-to-end capability, not just a antenna. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, Ken Buer, thanks so much for taking the time to be on the podcast today. And uh, I know you've got a, a lot going on as you're starting to think past Viasat 3 and onto Viasat 4 and, and beyond. So uh, thanks for your time. Oh, you're welcome. 
Thanks for listening to the Viasat Podcast. If you know someone you think would be interested in what you've heard on this episode, please share. You can always find the latest episodes on our blog at Viasat.com, and you can subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or just about anywhere you get your podcasts. 